Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Borash. I'm here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold. Days of Roar from the airport in Miami. Been to that airport many a time, not too far from lots of fun stuff, be it South Beach, be it North Miami Beach, be it the beach. So, Ev, how was Miami? Well, I did not go to the beach. Um, it was all work, no play for me this weekend. But yeah, I mean, it was a, a fun series. I mean, I know we're going to jump into it with the Miguel Cabrera stuff, but it was a really cool weekend for him. And especially coming off the Shohei Otani week um, that we got to see at Comerica Park. But no, I mean, Miami was good. Everything is kind of crazy right now. I mean, you got the Tigers going through Miguel Cabrera's final weekend, final games in Miami, played all three games in the series, and it was a really good turnout. I mean, it just so happens that the Tigers have an off day on Monday. The trade deadline is Tuesday, and then there's Wednesday, and then another off day on Thursday. So it's just like a lot is all going on at once. It's a crazy time to be a baseball beat writer. But, um, yeah, here I am in the Miami airport, days of roar from the port. I got a connection to catch in Atlanta. That'll take me back to Detroit. Then I'm driving to Pittsburgh on the morning of the off day. Hopefully I can get stationed there just in case, you know, some trades are made. Who knows? Scott Harris, if you're listening, maybe you're going to make a trade here in the next hour while we're recording. Who knows? But no, yeah, a lot going on with the Tigers right now and currently sitting in the airport waiting for this flight to get going. Well, I uh, think there's no questions asked that Scott Harris will be making a trade as soon as we finish recording this podcast because, just because. So uh, <laughs> It always it seems to happen nice. out that way. Yeah, it does. You know, it would have been nice if you could knock these things out before we started, but... Uh, I got a feeling we're going to be doing a special episode of Days of Roar, Trade Deadline Edition. So we had a one in five week. was not a good week. <laughs> a lot of bad baseball by the Tigers. They vary between listless and I can't finish off a game we should win. So a lot of those games. Had three of those this week. Uh, kind of a weird time. I mean, today was just sloppier uh, than a pancake breakfast. And uh, they just couldn't seem to get out of their own way. Whether they couldn't cover first base or they couldn't make good reads and they got thrown out of the plate twice. They just pretty much about everything. But uh, it was a fun week, though. And, you know, what'd you think? And, I mean, this weekend, we have to admit, Miguel Cabrera, up to the task, baby. He, uh, he was just unfreaking believable, hitting the ball everywhere, hitting it hard, driving in runs, tipping his cap and signing autographs and having a good time. How was that? Yeah, it was a really cool experience just to watch all that unfold. And I mean, you could tell it was a really big moment for him and really a, a huge weekend for him. I mean, he talked about it um, with you know Saturday's game. The Tigers won. 
um, and they won in a shutout, and he had some big hits, and it was just like a, a really good moment for him, standing ovation um, a few times in that game. Um, and every time he came up to bat, it was kind of like when he was chasing, you know, 500 or when he was chasing 3,000. Like everybody was on their feet, you know, witnessing a historical, you know, moment, right? Like that's what it was. And he called that, you know, one of the best games of his career, one of the moments that he's always going to remember, um, speaking directly to Saturday's game. But yeah, I mean, it all started with a Friday press conference and he talked to reporters for more than 20 minutes, uh, mostly, mostly in Spanish. So shout out to M Live's Evan Woodbury. Um, we sent the transcription over to him. He knows Spanish, so he transcribed and, and kind of got it all written out for us and, um, you know, did the flip from Spanish to English. And then we were able to run with, you know, the quotes. And so shout out to you, Evan. Thanks for getting that done. But yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, I, I, I appreciated being a part of it and like being able to see it and, you know, getting to report on it. I mean, it was cool from the pregame festivities that they had on Friday where they were able to give him some gifts. He got a nice cigar box and a humidor that had, you know, Cabrera on it. And it was all you know, custom made. And then also a really cool custom bottle of rum and in some packaging that had, you know, Florida Marlins, you know, 2003 world series, um, you know, type design on it. He got to meet Dave Concepcion or, or see him in, in person and talk to him. That's his idol growing up. So there was just a lot of great things that, that happened. It was Mickey night on Friday, Venezuela celebration night on Saturday. And it was kind of a whole, whole Miggy weekend. And then he went out there and he played well. And that was the other really cool thing was that he went out there and, and did what he needed to do to put on a show for the fans. Um, and I thought that was you know really important for him, also important for the fans. And yeah, he's loving every step. But I think it's finally starting to set in though, that, you know, the end is near. The end is very near. Well, still it was really fun to watch him play well, to be really honest with mm -hmm. you. I mean, some big hits, ground rule double, you know, just a smoke shot double today in a huge spot. Look, guy's been here for 16 years. It, the greatest player I've ever watched, and I watched Al Kaline's entire, you know, entire career essentially. It, it's just a beautiful thing to watch him go out like this. It, it you just never could have expected. I know that uh, all of us talk quite a bit before the year started, and we almost had a pool of when we thought he would finally conk out this year. And um, you and I talked, you know, we talked with Cody. About it. We all thought it would be a shock if he made it to August 1st. And tip of the hat, Miguel Cabrera just firing on all cylinders the last two months, giving us all the finger and going out like the goat that he is. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful part of baseball history. And, and hat tip to the Marlins, too. I mean, they really did it right this weekend. They really did it right. I mean, they honored him in every possible way that they could. Shout out to the fans for coming out on on Saturday, especially. I mean, that game, that was packed. I mean, that that was the, that was the most fans they've had in that ballpark, aside from WBC, uh, World Baseball Classic, in, in like five six years. I mean, they packed the place for Miguel Cabrera in, in in Venezuela Celebration Day. Like that was that was pretty awesome to be a part of. I mean, you got Bo Brisky coming out and he was he was hitting like. 98 on the radar going with his fastball in the first inning and I asked him the next day I said you, you amped up to start again is that is that what it was because he's been working out the bullpen and you know was operating as an opener for Saturday's game and he said you know that atmosphere was pretty good too so it had everybody amped up everybody knew what was going on uh, had tip to the Marlins they they really did it right well it's nice to see the Marlins do something well and to be really blunt about it you know they don't hit much but scrappy as hell team and really like a lot of their pitching they made Quite a few moves, quite a few trades, got some interesting players. Their bullpen is really, really good. And uh, they just refused to lose today. I mean, what'd you think about them? 
Yeah, no, I mean, shout out to the Tigers offense for what they were able to do against Jesus Lazardo. I mean, that's a guy, fun, you know, side story is, you know, back when he was like six years old, he went to the 2003 World Series when the Marlins were playing against the Yankees and he went with his grandpa, got Miguel Cabrera to sign a ball and throw it to his grandpa. And that ball's been with him ever since and kind of talked about, and we, we went and talked to him, um, you know, a lot of the Detroit re- reporters did. And he just talked about how that was like a really influential part of his baseball journey. And so, yeah, kind of a cool side story, you know, for today's game, because he finally got to face Miguel Cabrera for the first and only time in his career. And of course, you know, Cabrera had the double against him, um, also had a ground out in the first at bat, but that double was pretty nice. But he's a good pitcher. I mean, Jesus Lazardo has been has been on one for the Marlins really all season long. And Tigers were able to get to him. They worked him. Um, they were able to work deep into counts. They had some timely hits. They weren't able to get anything in the first couple innings. And then they exploded for a four-run inning that, um, you know, put them in a good spot to try to win the game. It was just too bad. You know, things went back and forth. And there were some misplays by the Tigers and just, you know, weren't able to get it done. Yeah. Jesus Lazardo. uh Almost back from uh, the dead. A lot of people almost even wrote him off. Been traded two times. Ridiculous stuff. Throws 97-98. Great change. Decent breaking ball. This year, put it all together. Uh, I think he's 8-5. and five, Has less than a 330 ERA. Striking out 10 per 9. Uh, big time arm. Big time. I mean, Scooble against Lazardo doesn't get much better in baseball. Two of the best left-handers under 26 years old, probably the second and third best left-handers in baseball under 26 years old. After Shane McClanahan, I actually had my friend John Berberg ask me that question today, so I was a little show prep ready for uh, thinking about how good left-handers are right, that are under 26 years old in Major League Baseball. And I think you got to include Tarek Skubal in that, but I think we saw today what we've seen quite a few times with Tarek and something he's going to have to learn how to do better which is you got to limit the damage in an inning, especially when you sort of make it self-inflicted. I think AJ referred to it in, in the post-game news conference, which is didn't cover first base, went downhill very quickly after that. Started throwing balls in the middle of the plate, couldn't finish hitters. And uh, you, know, you can't just be good when there's nobody on. You got to figure out a way how to keep the inning to one or two runs if things aren't going right. And he just couldn't do it against the bottom of the order on top of it. So it's kind of disappointing when you have the stuff that Tarek does and you really seem to struggle uh, under duress. It's a second straight, it's a second out of the last three starts. And it was a problem quite a few times last year. So I think it's something they need to address and he needs to work on. Give me some of your thoughts about that. Well, I think they will. I mean, that's, that's, I don't think there's any question about that. Like if there's anyone that's going to work um, and, and try to find solutions and try to find the answer, I mean, it's going to be the combination of Tarek, Tarek Skubal, Chris Fetter, and uh, Robin Lund. I mean, those guys are obviously like the masterminds of, of pitching. And then, you know, Tarek Skubal is going to work as hard as anybody to, to find the answers. So, yeah, I mean, it was a lot like the start in Kansas City where he left a lot of pitches over the middle. And they, you know, obviously you leave them over the middle. Guys are going to hit it. These are all professional hitters. These guys are all getting paid to do their jobs. Um, the only person that might not be able to hit a middle middle pitch right now is Eric Haas. He's been really going through it. But look, aside from that, like he's going to figure it out. He's going to get it sorted and he's going to be just fine. I, I have no doubts about Tarek Skubal just because of how good the stuff is. And I know the work ethic. I've seen the work ethic. So no, no, no concerns there for me. It's look, this is a guy who's still young. He's still learning himself. And this is a really big step for him. And once he's able to make this step, man, we talked about it last week on the pod. The sky is the limit for him. So just has to figure well, it out. I want, to, I want to touch on two other things. A, how great 
is Riley Green Ben. Holy smokes, he hit all kinds of fun, great at bats this week. Got, you know, a little bit a little bit of bad luck, even could add three more hits this weekend. Things got deflected off of people, two fielders and just so many, so many good at bats, whether he's working a walk, hitting a bomb into the stands in left field, ringing a shot today off of, uh, I think, Tanner Scott down in the corner, faced tons of tough lefties, really battled against them. He was pretty amazing. We saw Kerry Carpenter get a big hit off the left-hander this week. Uh, just, you know, a lot of really, really interesting, good things for the Tigers. What are some of the things you saw? Yeah, no, I mean, you want to talk about Riley Green. I like the way that he's using the whole field. That 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 says something to me. That says that he's he's really locked in. When I saw the, you know, the Oppo home run that he was able to take and and drive to left field, that's something that at the beginning of the year it was kind of middle of the field to opposite field, and he was not you know pulling the ball to the pole side. He wasn't getting the ball to right field, and that was a problem for him. He made a slight mechanical adjustment and really started tapping into the pole side. And then it seemed super pull side heavy. And it was like, okay, is this guy going to be able to go back the opposite way? And to see him finally come around, you know, coming back from this injury that he had, I mean, and, and that injury, like there's still something that the Tigers are monitoring day in and day out to make sure that he's able to stay on the field. It's just the constant banging of the feet. And when you have a, you know, a stress reaction, you don't want that to turn into a stress fracture at any point. And so, you know, all signs he's healthy, right? But it's good to see him at the plate use the entire field. I mean, to, to see him take a, a home run, to the left side and then to rip a shot down the line to the right side. Like that tells me that he's super locked in. And that also tells me that he's able to, you know, manipulate and adjust the swing. He's able to get to pitches where he needs to get to them and then, you know, can put them in play where he needs to. I mean, the, the guy's been on fire. He's red hot. He's as good as it gets. I mean, he makes this team go and he's going to make this team go for years and years to come. I think he's hitting close to 360 since the start of May, just, you know, hitting the ball all over the field, walking a decent amount. Extra base power tapping into it. It's been a beautiful thing to see, obviously, beyond the cornerstone. He is the st- a straw that stirs the drink. Uh, and I also want to give a little bit of shout out to uh, Spencer Torkelson. Uh, his swings are getting better. They're getting more consistent. Seeing him hitting the ball in the air to the pull side, which I've been begging him to do. And uh, he's instead of doing it for a few days at a time, he's seemingly getting one good swing like that almost every game now. And I think the ball will start flying out of the park a little more consistently. What have you been seeing? Yeah. I mean, all signs point in the right direction with Torkelson. Um, they obviously, they, they have been, I think from the beginning of spring training, like we've continued to see him get better and better and better. And sometimes it's a process and it takes some time. And I still think there's a lot ahead for him to, to conquer and accomplish. Um, I, I do think he's getting the ball in the air to the pole side a little bit more than or a lot more, I would say you know, than ever before. But at the same time, I mean, you still got to hit him for home runs, right? We talk about that all the time. I mean, you can get the ball in the air to the pull side. It's one thing to fly out as opposed to hitting home runs. It's another thing, I think there's more power in the tank for him to untap. I think we might even see that next year. Um, but yeah, no, signs pointing in the right direction with him. Like there's no complaints with Spencer Torkelson. I think he's doing everything that he needs to be doing right now. And look, the Tigers aren't competing for the postseason, right? Like they're, they're, they're not, they're not. That's just not the case. They're sellers at the trade deadline. Like, that's also a fact. Um, so he has time. Like, they don't need him to, you know, be the guy right now. There is still time to grow and there is still time to develop. There's, there's, you know, he can fail and learn from it, right? And I think we're going to see some of that still down the stretch. And I, I really look forward to seeing what he's going to be like coming back for 2024 because I think we're going to see the best version yet 
of Spencer Torkelson in 2024 once he goes back home in the offseason, gets in the lab and, and puts some work in? Yeah, it's, you know, last year, he re, you know, this last winter, he remade his swing. I think he'll be able to do this offseason. Optimize it. There you go. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about Shohei Otani a little later because we both saw something this week that we'll never see again. But uh, we're going to spend some time on it. But it's the trade deadline. So question two of the big two. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Let's go over some of the deals that already got made. Uh, is Scott Harris locked in his office with a bunch of sandwiches? What, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it's already been a pretty crazy trade deadline. Trade deadline isn't even here yet. I mean, who would have thought Max Scherzer was going to be going to the Texas Rangers? I mean, that, that was something that, you know, the Mets were kind of on the fence, buyers, sellers. What are they going to do? Are they going to make that push? Or are they just going to kind of, you know, wave the white flag? And suddenly there's Max Scherzer going to the Texas Rangers. And I, I was pretty impressed by the fact that that trade actually got done and got pulled off. And then the Rangers just keep on going. They made the trade with the Cardinals and they got Jordan Montgomery, a left-handed starter and, Chris Stratton, a good left-handed starter. Yeah, a good left-handed starter. Um, so they were able to pick up, you know, those two players, Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton from um, the St. Louis Cardinals, and those have kind of been like two premier moves with the Rangers really stocking up. And I think you know teams in the AL West, you know, obviously the Houston Astros, they got to make a move. And, and it sounds like you know maybe Justin Verlander might not be a, a, a trade candidate for them anymore. It seems like you know, Dana Brown, their general manager, might be backing off of that. But at the same time, their owner has a good relationship with JV. So maybe um, a trade happens there. I mean, look, but the Rangers are making moves. The Rangers are going for it. And if you're the Astros and you want any chance of, of trying to make a push, like you got to go get somebody to fortify your starting rotation. I think you like what you have in your starting in your lineup. You know, every single day you got Altuve back, you got Jordan Alvarez back. But they're going to really need to get somebody in there who's going to be able to anchor that pitching staff. And you know, who better to do that than Justin Verlander? But that's in the AL West. In the AL Central, um, the Chicago White Sox have dumped some players. Uh, the Twins haven't really done anything yet. Um, the Kansas City Royals are selling off. And the Tigers are just kind of sitting there doing a whole lot of nothing right now. And obviously, well, well right now, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's Sunday at 7 p.m. And they haven't done anything yet. So I think there's obviously, there's obviously time to still make something happen. But uh, we haven't seen it yet. And there are two really big pitchers that they have to offer in Eduardo Rodriguez and, and Michael Lorenzen, as well as some relievers. Well, I tweeted my half-kidding, half-serious ideas of what I think is going on. A, I'm sure there's discussions that have been had. Just of nothing. course. Of course there has okay. been. I think what we don't know is, are they making offers that, it, you know, basically reflect the idea that you have a rookie general manager and they're trying to test them to see what he's got or is he overly cautious or as Erod discussed with them renegotiating or just not opting out you know we we don't know inside what's going on i mean you usually have your ear to the ground back there pretty well you know obviously michael runs it's getting traded so so as they narrow but what are you hearing about Erod inside yeah, there's no doubt Michael Lorenzen um, is going to be traded. Jose Cisnero is going to be traded. And Jason Shreve, a left-handed reliever, if they can you know, find a, a suitable partner for him, um, he's going to be traded too. I mean, those are three guys on expiring contracts. Eduardo Rodriguez is a much different situation, and it all revolves around this opt-out that he has. So let me take you back to uh, November 2021 when he signed his five-year $77 million contract that was former general manager Al Avila, you know, got that deal done and negotiated it. 
And the opt-out clause changes everything about his trade value because he can opt out after this year, which would leave three years and $49 million on the table. And the problem is, is that teams that want Eduardo Rodriguez, and trust me, teams want Eduardo Rodriguez. If he was a, you know, if he was a, a three-month rental, automatically a slam dunk, no question about it, the teams would be lining up. He, he might be the hottest you know, starting pitcher on the market. But because of the fact that he has his opt-out, there are some concerns from teams that are interested in him. The big question is going to be, okay, he's probably going to opt out, but what happens if he gets injured? And that's the big question. It, it, it has nothing to, I mean, look, this guy's going to go and become a free agent again next year, and he's going to make a ton of money doing it because he's pitched in, um, you know, to the, he's pitched well enough to deserve that. But if he gets injured, then maybe he opts back in. If it's, let's say it's, I mean, God forbid, Tommy John surgery. What, what if he needs Tommy John surgery? You know, you probably opt back into that deal because you're not going to get that on the open market if you have Tommy John surgery or another major surgery or, or another significant injury, right? So that's the like big concern. Fi- like a finger injury. I mean, exactly though, right? Like that, but right. I mean, that, that could be, um, you know, something that, that, that is a problem and that would maybe cause him to opt back into the deal. So the Tigers might not get him for equal value. They, they, they won't, they won't get him for equal value. They're going to have to trade him for lesser value or include him in a package as a standalone player that's traded from team A to team B. He's not going to be as valuable as the Tigers maybe would like to see just because of the fact that he has the opt out and and teams are going to be weary of that. Now, there's the other factor of it, and that's, hey, look, this guy wants to be in Detroit. Eduardo Rodriguez wants to be in Detroit. His family likes being in Detroit. He, he, He wants to stay. But again, there is, you know also the point of like know your worth and and you should know his worth and know that he's going to make a lot more money going back in in being a free agent but if the tigers and i haven't heard anything about them you know renegotiating the deal there haven't been any formal talks last i checked on a new contract but he's a guy that you might be able to get to to stick around if you tweak that deal now what is it going to take to do that i have no idea all i know is that last i checked there haven't been formal negotiations about that but eduardo rodriguez wants to stay so we'll see. I mean, I do think that if you're going to work out um, an extension, you have to do it before the trade deadline, because if you don't do it for the trade deadline, you lose all your leverage if you're the Tigers, because then you can, you, you can be post trade deadline. And it's like, yeah, I'm not taking that. I'm just going to opt out. And the Tigers have no leverage to just trade him. So something would have to be worked out. I would have to think before 6 p.m. on Tuesday. But that's the situation is, is they're probably not going to get the exact value that they're looking for back. Eduardo Rodriguez wants to stay and. Most recently, I've heard, you know, no real formal, like, talks about restructuring the contract. It's an interesting case. It's, it's an interesting case. Now, at the same time, you know, pretty decent packages were attained for, you know, Giolito, Montgomery. I mean, you know, Lance Lynn, people are getting traded that are either have options or going to be free agents at the end of the season. So, I mean, all three of those guys are going to be free agents at the end of the season. Giolito is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, Montgomery is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. I mean, the, the thing that holds up the Eduardo Rodriguez situation is the fact that nobody knows what's actually going to happen because we won't know until we get there. We won't know until it's November and the World Series is over. And the question is going to become, OK, is this guy going to opt out or is he not? I mean, look, the, well, season, the, I, the, the season could end and he could hurt himself in the offseason doing something and hurt his arm. And I mean, again, super rare, probably won't happen. But at the same time. You know, what happens if he gets injured in the offseason between, you know, maybe October and, and November and then decides to opt back in? Like, it might not even be an on-field thing. Like, a- anything can happen, and teams are going to want to protect themselves, especially, you know, mid-market and small-market clubs. The Dodgers, maybe the Dodgers don't worry about that. Maybe the Dodgers aren't as concerned because they figure, okay, like, if he opts back in, whatever, we're getting a, 
a pretty good pitcher on a cheap deal and maybe he's injured for a little bit, but then he comes back and we're not paying him very much. But a smaller market club, they might have more concern about that. Yeah. All I can say is as much as I study the Dodgers, which is a lot, I'm starting to get concerned because every single prospect they deal sucks after they deal. So it's uh, they look great when they're playing for the Dodgers and somehow the development are <laughs> doesn't progress at the same rate once they hit a new team. So let's see what happens with that. At the same time, you know, in, in its most simplistic fashion, I think you're 100% right, but I do think teams just basically look at him as a rental. Uh, it's a bonus if he decides to stay and he's healthy, in which I think is very doubtful if he gets down. So be interesting to see what goes on. I'm sure there's some other players that are being discussed that we're not discussing, and it, it should be interesting to see what happens. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about trades after the break. We'll be back in a second. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. So you have a premonition that you you have an idea where you, you know, two teams that are going to hook up, one of them to Detroit Tigers. Tell me, tell me what you think you got uh, in mind. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. There's always a long way to go in these kind of things, but I think the Tigers and the Arizona Diamondbacks are, uh, are great trade partners. And that's not just me pulling that, you know, out of nowhere. That's uh, from some good sourcing that I, people that I've talked to that have said, Hey, look, these two teams are probably going to hook up. And uh, I know the Diamondbacks have definitely reached out to the Tigers and, um, you know, shared insight on which players that they like some of them controllable young players, um, and, and that'll be interesting to see if Scott Harris can get creative. Like that's another thing that, you know, we haven't really touched on enough and, and it's hard to really touch on because you don't really know what's exactly going to happen until it happens. But, you know, Scott Harris was lauded for creativity. I mean, that, that was thinking outside of the box, doing things, you know, in ways that, you know, people normally wouldn't think about doing them. And, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks have interest in some of the Tigers players, and some of those players are young, controllable players. The Tampa Bay Rays, they have some interest in some young, controllable players. Granted, some of those players that the Rays are interested in, the Tigers probably aren't going to want to part ways with, um, one of them being a pretty good catcher who's on the rise. But still, my point being with the Diamondbacks specifically is if they're interested in a young, controllable player that the Tigers have, I'll be interested to see how Scott Harris maneuvers that and if he could maybe use that to – maybe leverage more out of an Eduardo Rodriguez deal. Um, maybe that allows them to get a, a, a real prospect back, a real dude, someone who's going to be a, a middle-of-the-order type bat in the future um, that you can count on to, to be a guy. Like Again, I don't really know exactly if it's going to happen or how it's going to work out. I know that those two teams have, have been in some talks, but I don't know. I mean, like we'll see. I know the Tigers like Alec Thomas. That's kind of been out there and, and reported by others as well. Um, but he's a young position player who's in the big leagues right now. He'd play center field. He'd allow Riley Green to move to one of the corners. Like, maybe there's a way that you can sneak him into a deal. But, you know, if those two teams hook up, maybe it's part of a, a bigger deal that includes several, you know, young players as, and as well as, you know, some players who are going to be free agents soon. So a lot to happen there. But those are two teams that I would watch, Tigers and Diamondbacks. I think we might see something there. Well, But I want to yeah. see how creative Scott Harris can get. That's what I want to see. Me too. And just so you know, in case uh, 
you know, anybody in Arizona gets ready to have an aneurysm and decides they want to trade Jordan Lawler, I'll be very eager to go pick him up at the airport for him. And <laughs> they, they have a pretty good looking shortstop in Perdomo. And maybe there's a deal to be made there. I have no but that's, idea. And that, but that's what, I, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, but be able to get a guy like Jordan Lawler, you'd probably have to give up a young controllable position player as well. Someone who's going to be in Arizona for, you know, the next five, six years, right. Until they're a free agent, someone that, that, that they can control and they can have until they're a free agent. And that's way down the road. That's what they would want. A cornerstone that they see that maybe, you know, the tigers might look at and say, eh, you know, maybe we don't really need that player. Like maybe we're really confident at developing pitchers and finding pitchers in free agency. And, you know, we got a lot coming up in our system that we think we can optimize. So maybe we can part ways with this young, controllable, you know, starting pitcher. I'm not going to name names, but maybe that's, you know, the type of conversation that they're having. And they send that player off to Arizona. And that obviously is going to, um, you know, make the return significantly better just because everybody wants players with control. Good teams all want good players with team control. And if the Tigers can find that player in their system that they don't really want or they don't really see as valuable moving forward, maybe that allows for a trade to happen and the Tigers to get a legit dude like a Jordan Lawler. Now, that those trades are always the hardest to pull off, though. So keep that in mind as well. Well, you know, speaking of the Arizona Diamondbacks, we're going to throw it to something that we've been real excited to do here. We're going to start having a few guests over the coming weeks tonight we have an unbelievable guest courtesy of evan petzel we have mike farron who hosts a show every day on uh, mlb radio called power alley with jim duquette he was a guest analyst and you know uh, color person with dan dickerson on tigers radio a few weeks ago he's an icon in the business he's on play-by-play for uh, World Baseball Classic, uh, Futures Games. He, he's, you know, just a fountain of baseball information, and uh, I'm excited to have him out. What do you think? No, I'm pumped. I mean, Mike Farron is, is as good as it gets. He's the best in the business. So he was, he was doing color with Dan Dickerson when the Tigers were playing in Seattle, and, and we can ask him about it too, but just the conversations that we had. I mean, he opened my mind to just so many different possibilities when it comes to big things that I didn't even really think about things that I couldn't even grasp at this point yet. Um, and just picking his brain, it was like, I mean, this guy is, is just has so much knowledge, understands the game, both analytically and with the eye test too. Like that's, that's what I appreciate the most about him is you know, he can look at something and he can see it and he can watch it. He can find the stats and data to back it up, but he's also got these gut feels that um, are really impressive too. And so I really enjoyed talking to him. He's been doing this for a really long time. Um, he's one of my favorites to listen to on LB Network Radio, and it's really an honor to have him on. It is. Farron knows everybody, and uh, he knows just a ton of stuff. So excited to have him. Without further ado, we're going to go to our segment with Mike Farron. All right, we're happy to have Mike Farron from MLB. Uh, radio, an icon in the business, as we said, guest of Power Alley, play-by-play man of many a famous baseball event without getting too deep into the resume, which everybody pretty much knows. Mike, thanks a lot for joining us. We're here to talk a little baseball. It's a, two days before the trade deadline. We want to talk about your experience with the Tigers and what you think's going on. There's a lot of, lot of action going on these days. Yeah, excited to be with you guys. So this is a fun time of year for sure. So the first thing we wanted to touch on before we get into the trade deadline, 
He had a chance to do a few games on the radio for the Tigers with the icon, which one of the greatest play-by-play guys in the game right now, Dan Dickerson. Tell us what that was like. You know, I, I mean, I I had met Dan once. We'd had an extended conversation years ago when the Tigers were in Arizona, and that was about the only time that I think we'd ever really interacted. Um, and everybody had said, you know, I've, I've long been an admirer because to exactly what you said, Mark. I mean, he's one of the best play-by-play announcers in the business. Um, and everybody was like, man, you'll love doing a couple games with Dan. He's such a great dude. And I think everybody undersold it. <laughs> like He's just the best. Um, his quest for knowledge is unmatched, which is something that I really appreciate. And he really loves this ridiculous sport. And that's another thing that I really appreciate because um, he wants to learn. He wants to look at it from different angles and his joy uh, for baseball is something that, you know, I I share with him. So um, it was a lot of fun to be able to be next to him for three days, um, just watching the way he prepares, learning from him, spending time, just having the, you know, normal off-air conversations, laughing together. Man, I had an absolute blast. He's just the best. And he really is. I mean, he should be a winner of the Frick Award at some point because he is an absolutely spectacular play-by-play announcer. Hey, well, Mike, thanks for doing this again. And we had two legends in the booth that day with, with you and Dan. I mean, he's as good as it gets, but you know, you're right up there for me as well. So um, thanks for coming on, of course. And yeah, you got to watch three games of the Tigers, got to see him up close. Obviously, you look at him from a national lens too. What's kind of your thought on the current state of where they're at right now and, and where things are headed under Scott Harris? You know, I I, was, I knew somebody who was in to see them this weekend as part of their trade deadline coverage, and I haven't had a chance to follow up with him yet, but I wanted to know if he had the same take I did, which is I actually think they're further along than I anticipated in watching where they were. I think the pitching is really good, and I realized that, you know, Michael Lorenzen is almost certainly gone. There's a good chance that Eduardo Rodriguez is. I, I'm sure that they are going to get hits on their younger, controllable starters, But man, the depth of quality arms, young quality arms is really impressive. And I think there are some things to really like in the lineup. I think obviously Riley Green has been terrific since really the start of May. And I know that was interrupted by the foot injury, but um, he's been very good. There's nothing inside of Spencer Torkelson's at bats that make me really question whether or not he's going to be a solid major league player. I think it's just a little bit more experience that's necessary. I don't know that he's going to be a superstar necessarily, but I think he's going to be pretty good. And I really like Kerry Carpenter. And I think that trio gives you a pretty good basis for what can be part of the middle of a lineup that that contends. There are a number of quality bullpen arms there, part of that youth. I mean, some of those guys, you know, Bo Britsky was what the opener today. And, um, you know, I really like Brendan White, man. His stuff is really good. Jason Foley is good. Like those guys can can certainly help to either form a core of the next good Tigers team or help you acquire pieces that are bigger for that next big Tiger, good Tigers team. Because I, I think adding a couple of bats and this is not easy, right? Two, they probably need two bats that are going to hit in the top half of the lineup. If they can find a way to do that over the course of the next six months, I think they're going to be far more competitive in the American League Central a year from now. And, and I think there's, there's enough there that you can start to get excited about their future if they're able to upgrade in a couple of those spots. Well, 
the good news is, is from year to year between Chris Fetter, Robin Lund, Juan Nieves, they're very good at developing bullpen arms. They usually, you know, they're they're just outstanding at it. They I mean, look, they got rid of Fulmer and Jimenez from their pen last year and Chafin, okay, yet still have a good pen, right? And so, Soto. Yeah, and Soto. So that's four arms from last year's pen, which was very good, still rolling along fine. So I, I have confidence that even if they sell off a few, that they'll develop a few. So that part, they also have Cole Keith coming next year, who is an extremely interesting hitter. I know he's top 30, probably deserves just on the bat to be better than that. But it, how, how much does this remind you a little bit? Look, you were there for every bit of this Diamondbacks rebuild. They're on the verge now of being something, and they, they have a few people in their system. How much does it, what the Tigers is doing, maybe parallel a little bit what the Diamondbacks did? I don't really see a lot of parallels because of the route that they've gone with it. I mean, I think the Tigers build probably fits more the mold of what uh, Atlanta tried to do when they started to rebuild or what the Mets did in the mid-2010s in that it really is a pitching-heavy organization still. And I think that's where it would be a little bit different in that regard. Now, I think that'll shift under Scott Harris. And I think certainly what you saw at the top of the draft this year um, kind of echoes that with you know with Max Clark and, and Kevin McGonigal being their top two picks. There's more certainty when it comes to... To trying to develop hitters than it does with pitchers, which I realize sounds weird because um, hitting is the most difficult thing to do, but pitchers are greater, there are greater risks of injuries, as you've seen with guys like Casey Mize and obviously with Tarek Skubal and with um, Matt Manning. You know, but yeah, Matt Manning, Spencer <laughs> Turnbull, right? Like all these guys have had injuries. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that they aren't talented. They are very talented pitchers, but um, there's more risk involved. So I think there's a little bit of a transition in there, but I think it's, I, to me, it's a little bit different than that. They need to, you know, what Atlanta was able to do in that time, as they were kind of transitioning, they made all those trades. They tried to build through pitching was they managed to sign Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. internationally. Right. And those are two pretty big moments for them in, in terms of what got them to this point. Uh, I'm not sure that there's that those guys necessarily exist right now for the Tigers to sign, but I think that there's going to be a greater emphasis on that. And I think you're going to see them, try and develop hitters. And, and in the meantime, like if you do have pitching, you know, the pitching is always a commodity at the deadline, which is what part of what makes this week so interesting for them, because, you know, as much as everybody's focused on Seattle for controllable starters, that might be available via trade. I'm sure Scott Harris is willing to listen on some of the young starters that the Tigers have as well. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to move any of them, um, but that would be a way to kind of convert some of that prospect pitching capital, um, even if it's touched the big leagues, into more impactful offense potentially. So I think those things are 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 things that I think would be a little bit of a difference. Arizona has been a little bit shorter on the pitching side. They have developed position players very well. You know, all three of the outfielders they have, the one they traded in Dalton Varsho to get Gabriel Moreno, Geraldo Perdomo looks like he's going to be a pretty solid player. Uh, and they still have more coming. But I think that's, I would say that they're a little bit different in that regard. That said, you know, Green and Torkelson is still a pretty good duo to be able to build from if you're Detroit. For sure. I mean, we're kind of dancing around the, the trade deadline stuff. And I know we spent, you know, Mark, we spent the first half of this podcast talking about it. But Mike, when you look at what the Tigers have to deal at this trade deadline, 
what are we looking at in terms of maybe interested teams, maybe the type of return that the Tigers should be expecting? I know it's hard to, to forecast all that, but you got Michael Lorenzen, Eduardo Rodriguez, a bunch of relievers, and then maybe some surprises too and controllable, maybe young pitchers that they could deal away. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm, I'm really curious to see how how it goes for them. You know, they're not in a position where really outside of Lorenzen that they need to move anybody. And, you know, I was, I was reading some of, you know, some of the, the, the stuff written today. I think Cody Stavenhagen had had a comment that there was a little bit more, I, I guess maybe the, the market had cooled a little bit um, with regards to Rodriguez. And part of that is, and I think Evan, you and I talked about this in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, just the, the, the nature of opt-outs makes things a lot more difficult, whether it's the reality of it, or if it's just a negotiating ploy from the teams that are trying to trade with you, like the reality is, is that that there's still what close to fifty million dollars that could or could not be committed, and so finding the proper player for player value in trade just becomes more difficult. Even though that number isn't significant, you know, really significant for a pitcher of the quality of Eduardo Rodriguez. Like if he gets hurt and missed all of next year, and you still had him for two years beyond next season as an acquiring team, like you'd be pretty happy at that number because he's pretty good. So um, I think those guys. I would be very curious to see exactly how deep they're willing to go to the bullpen, you know, Lang and Foley have been the the focus, I think, of most people kind of analyzing who the Tigers could move. I think, you know, a couple of names that I mentioned, Brisky and Brendan White would both be really, really interesting. We saw what the Cubs did last year with Scott Efros at the deadline and trading him to the Yankees um, and getting you know, a pretty good pitching prospect in Hayden Wisniewski, um, who really has good stuff. I mean, he's not quite refined yet, but that was a really good pickup for, uh, you know, a middle reliever. Is there somebody who that's similar to that? Maybe, um, you know, certainly that kind of fits from the lineage of Scott Harris, right? Because he had been with the Cubs. Um, but I don't know that I have necessarily specific names on where we go, but they have intriguing arms in the bullpen. They have intriguing arms in the rotation. And they also have a couple of multi-position guys who, you know, have control left, who I think are important guys, or at least seem to be in the clubhouse, who could be of interest to teams. You know, Nick Maton might be of interest, or Matt Veerling certainly would be, I think, to teams. So maybe you see something like that potentially as well. Those would be more the surprise rooms, the ones you're not looking for. I think most of the focus is going to be on Michael Lorenzen heading into Tuesday. Well, Lorenzen is pretty much the slam dunk, you know, trade candidate for them, right? I mean, he's kind of the guy, right? We had, and Mark and I talked about this too, and I've written about it as well with the opt out, you know, with Eduardo Rodriguez. Now, my question there is do you think that that maybe will, you know, smaller market, mid market teams maybe shy away from that a little bit? I mean, could, could a team like the Dodgers, could they say, eh, you know, screw it, we don't care, like, let's, let's go for it? I mean, can we see something like that? Or do you think that it's, it, it really doesn't matter across the board when it really gets down to it? It just comes down to maybe a little bit lesser value coming back. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough to gauge it, right? Like it, it's, you know, I think it's it's all situation dependent. I think there's still significant value, right, on 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 both Lorenzen and on on Rodriguez. Lorenzen's throwing the best baseball of his career, I think. Um, and and with Eduardo, like if you're yeah, if you're a major market team, you can kind of you know look at that different. I mean, like I would say if I were St. Louis, right, like I would be considering that and seeing if there's a way that you can, you know, find a way to extend him after you acquire him, right? Like that's a little bit outside the box. You know, like let's look at St. Louis and what they've done, right? They they have stated a preference to get controllable starting pitching because they only have two starters that are under control next year. They want to be able to compete. And the deals that they made today get them a couple guys that are in double A, albeit ones that probably have a little 
little bit lower ceiling. So is there something you can do where you look at acquiring a player like that and saying, hey, listen, like we'll rip up these three option years, but extend you at a really good number? Like that's something that I think theoretically can happen. I don't know how practical it is. So that would change the equation as well. But, but could the Tigers I, I do that? Well, the Tigers could do that, certainly, and go to Rodriguez and say, hey, listen, like, we want to keep you. We think you're valuable. Um, We're going to we want to see if we can work out an extension. I think that would make a lot of sense for them, too. But I think that's something that you handle after August 1st, if you're the Tigers, you know, Um, it's uh, well, it it can't feel good for Eduardo Rodriguez to be dangling in the wind with trade considerations like waiting until after the deadline, waiting two more days probably makes sense. But if they don't move him, if I were the Tigers, I absolutely would be looking to try and do something like that, because I think he's a really valuable commodity and that you know what you're going to get out of him he's just the really solid major league pitcher he's a number three starter in the big leagues and those don't grow on trees a guy you can start in a playoff game I mean Evan Evan I have had these discussions a few times in the in the past four to six weeks I mean Eduardo Rodriguez is still not going to be that expensive I mean he's probably a a 21 to 24 million dollar a year pitcher if you extend him you give him 45 million bucks basically to extend, you know, even if you did added a year with an option, you know, with some type of vesting option for the fifth year. Now you got him for five years. You already got him for three. You just reworked the contract. I mean, Detroit then has a pretty solid group of starting pitchers going right. into 2024 and they can concentrate on getting some hitting because, you know, their, their pitching's Barring injury is going to be there, but I mean, look, they've had a lot of injury, bad luck with injuries, but you got Mize coming back. You got Eduardo, you got Scooble. You know, I wanted to talk about Scooble a little bit with you, Mike. I mean, I know you've, you've had a chance to see him, but you know, ridiculous stuff. Still not sure exactly what you have. You have somewhere between uh, somebody that's frustrating and a Cy Young winner. So, uh, so like most pitchers in baseball. Right? Yeah, most pitchers in baseball. So, I mean, today being a perfect example, shuts him down for four innings, gets into the fifth, doesn't cover first base, has some duress, melts down, four to four, leaves the game. So, not the first time for Tarek, but then there's other times just totally dominating. He had a pretty, I don't know if you saw, we had a pretty interesting matchup today, uh, Luzardo against Scooble. Yeah. Doesn't get much better than that. I mean, I think the thing with, with Scooble is that you just, I think it's easy to forget how inexperienced he is. I mean, after today, it's just over, it's what, 320 innings. Right. And uh, of, of Major League Baseball. And for a guy who's coming off a pretty major injury to be running out of, you know, seven to one strikeout to walk ratio coming into today is pretty ridiculous. I mean, he'd give, he'd, <laughs> more strikeouts than bat, than base runners allowed coming into today. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you can say, ah, it's inconsistent because he's let a couple get away. But like if he finished the month of April with five starts and the numbers that he's put together right now, you'd probably be pretty happy and looking for him to take another step forward. I think it's it, to me, it's experience. I realize that he's going to be 27 in November. And so it doesn't necessarily feel like he's in an inexperienced pitcher. But there's still three years of team control with him beyond this year. And I think there's still a lot of room for growth. And you're right. The stuff is just overwhelming and he's still learning. So like I'm, I'm in on Scooble. I think he's the best of the arms that they have. I think he has a chance to be the most bona fide of the young starters they have because he's got the best swing and miss stuff. Like 
if you like, if we're going to play out this hypothetical game of uh, extending Eduardo Rodriguez, and you're going to have those two anchoring rotation going forward, I think you feel pretty good about your chances. So I want to ask you one question because it's the elephant in the room. Terry Skubal going to be 27, and he's thrown 300 innings between a TJ and a flexor tendon. Give you any pause? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, he's a pitcher. So, yeah, I mean, always. Yeah, I mean, I think I, that's but I don't think any more than anything else. I mean, I think that certainly affects you. Know, like if you're talking about him on the trade market, I think it certainly affects his value because he's had injuries. But pitchers get hurt and you're just going to have to deal with it. He has more value to the Tigers in my mind than he does anybody else because he's because they know him. They've been through the rehab. And I think the fact that he came back from the flexor tendon injury and has thrown the ball as well as he has should be pretty encouraging sign you just have to I mean you have to play this game with any pitcher if they have past injuries it's the best predictor of future injury but you know like you still want to dream on the talent he's still relatively young at 26 like that you really want to be in a position to be able to try and take advantage of that prime all right you got a long lineage of being uh you know somebody that's really loved to study prospects I know I've wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that yeah, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Max Clark and Kevin McGonigal. Like, where are you at with those guys? And it seemed like the Tigers were pretty clever in the way they went about, you know, this year's draft. They spent a ton of money, obviously, um, took advantage of all their resources that they had. Mm-hmm. What did you see from the Tigers just kind of up and down on that board? And then what do you got on Max Clark and Kevin McGonigal? Yeah, I mean, I would add with Paul Wilson into that mix, right? The third rounder, too, who was a big, uh, big overslot guy. I mean, um, it was interesting that they went prep. This was a really deep prep class. I think that's part of the reason why people were excited about it as a draft. I mean, it was short on college pitching, but long on college middle infielders in particular and, and, on prep bats. And so, you know, with Clark, you know, I'm the only person in America that never saw Clark really go off in a game. Um, but I'm like literally the only person that didn't because like if you watched him, the reports that I got on him from area codes last year from scouts who saw him thought it was one of the best performances in area codes history. Um, you know, and I think what did he triple in his first game, right? In the, in the FCL. So like, I, I listen, he, he can run, he can play center field. He's got some swag too him. Um, you know, he was a wide receiver in high school too. So he's got a little bit of that wide receiver edge. And, and I dig that. I think that's a lot of fun. I think it's fair to question how much over the fence power there's going to be. But then again, we played that same game with Corbin Carroll and he's going to go 30, 30 this year. Right. Like, and, and Clark is more physical than Carroll, more physical now than Carroll is. So I think he's a really intriguing talent. I love Kevin McGonigal and anybody who spent time around him on the amateur circuit feels the same way. Dynamic personality, like patterned his game after Chase Utley, the Philly guy. So as my buddy, Mike Rooney would say, he's just filled with hashtag toughness and charisma. Like he can really get the bat to the ball. I think he probably ends up as a second baseman, which will put a little bit more pressure on the bat. But he's a really fun player, and he's the kind of guy that I think um, with if it clicks for him and he ends up becoming a major leaguer and a solid major leaguer is going to be a fan favorite because of the way that he's, he plays his game. Have you ever seen Trevor Wilson or no? I mean, no. Yeah, I saw him at PG National. I think it was the All-American game last year, too. It's a good arm. You know, it, uh, 
it's it's what's Paul Wilson, right? Because Trevor's his yeah. dad, right? Yeah, yeah Trevor's, Trevor's his dad. dad. Thank you. So, like, you know, he it, it's a really good arm. You can understand why Oregon State committed him. You know, he wasn't like my favorite arm in the class, but I certainly understand where he why he went where he did in the third round. It's not like I disliked him. I thought he was pretty good, but it's you know, it's good stuff and it's just a long path to development. You know, I think Tiger fans are watching that with Jackson Job, right? Who is a little bit higher profile, obviously, than what Wilson is, but he's a he's a pretty impressive guy. You know, Mike, I, I wanted to touch on something that is a little outside the box, but, you know, you, you really started doing, you know, podcasting and in the industry a long time before it was popular. I mean, all of us have a podcast and talk baseball on the on whether, you know, it's on a pod or, you know, it, it it's come a long way. You started doing this, you know, almost 15 years ago. You, had, you were part of some of the most famous podcasts ever done when nobody was doing them. Talk a little bit about how you've seen the evolution of people talking baseball and how they do it now. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the fact that there are more people that are interested in putting out baseball-specific products. You know, I've been fortunate that you know, baseball's been the only sport that I've covered since I started at Sirius in July of 2007. Um, and the, the podcast you're referencing is the one that I, I did with Jason Parks, who's now the professional scouting director for the Diamondbacks, and, and it was called Fringe Average, and it was focused more on scouting and player development. I think the fact that that there are more people that are willing to share that, there are more listeners for for podcasts, is extremely healthy for the sport. And I think, you know, discourse helps to lead to better evaluation and understanding of the game. And and so I think, you know, some of them are are really good if you're just into the I want to yell and scream like a fan. And there are others that are really good if you want to dig in deep. Um, I think there's still that can be more done more that can be done on the scouting and player development side in that because I think that's and that's just from my standpoint, I find that the most fascinating part. I mean, I, that's the the part of the game I love the most is trying to figure out how you take the the you know the left brain part of evaluation and marry it with the right brain that we have in in data collection and information in building a really strong evaluative model or process and so i think there's more to be gained there still too um, but I love the fact that it continues to grow. I think the fact that we're seeing fans come back to major league ballparks and minor league ballparks in big numbers over the course of the last year is extremely healthy for the game. And the more that we have people that are interested in baseball, the better, whether they want to do a podcast, you know, that just yells and screams about their seventh inning guy, or if they want to do one that digs in deep into what's going on in a ball. I think all of that is a real positive. You know, you touched on something that I wanted to, before we let you go, ask you about. You know, attendance is up. Rural changes have had a lot to do with this season. And I think a lot to do with improving the fan experience. Give me your thought about that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I was in the bag for the the aggressive pitch clock after seeing it in the fall league two years ago. The first fall league game we did after the World Series that year was an 11-10 game that lasted two hours and 12 minutes. And you were like, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be paced, right? And I think it's been a big factor. I had a coach who recently retired who I'd had an argument with about the pitch clock a few years ago who walked up to me uh, on the field the other day and was like, 
I hate to say it, but you were right. <laughs> He's like, no, I would still hate it if I were a player because it just changes your routine. He's like, but it's really made a big difference. Um, I think it's the, you know, it's one of the most significant changes that baseball has ever have had. I mean, the rule book has long had a pitch timer written into it. It just never has had the clock on the field to time it. Um, I think that it has made a significant difference in terms of making the product more watchable, not just at the major league level, but at the minor league and at the collegiate level. In fact, I would argue that the pitch clock in college baseball has made the biggest impact of the the three, major league, minor league, and, and college, because it has taken away the need to micromanage every single moment of the game, um, and it has made it far more enjoyable to watch. So I'm all in on these. I think these are terrific, terrific changes. ABS or the challenge system? Challenge system. I've seen the challenge system in action, and it's going to be fan-friendly. Um, the one thing I have is a little bit of a concern is, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the AAA walk rate right now is about 12%, which normally it's about eight and a half. Now, remember, they've been running ABS out three days a week and then ABS the challenge system on the weekends. And I would love to see some breakdowns on what those numbers are and what's happened with that, because that to me is really interesting in that. And I'm sure that this is data that's being collected. Uh, I know it's data that's being collected in Major League Baseball. They've already made some adjustments over the course of setting the ABS restrictions in terms of the width is actually 21 inches instead of 17, which is what home plate is. And um, what they do is they take it from, I think it's like 27% of a player's height to 51.5% of their height is the bottom to the top of the strike zone. So, you know, all those things are, are things that they've done. I'd be curious to see if they adjust it further because the walk rate right now in the majors is about 8.5%, and that's not out of line with where it has been traditionally. In fact, it's lower than it was 40 years ago. Generally, it's been somewhere between 85 and 9.5%. That's the one concern I would have with it right now and would like to see how they make adjustments going further. You think it's a 2024 thing or a 2025 thing? 2025, probably, or 26. They don't want to. They don't want to make any more seismic changes next year. I think they've had... They, they made enough this season, right, in terms of all the rules that they changed, that both in terms of giving that a little bit of a rest and also getting another year's worth of data collection on it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, from what you shared about tweaking the data and how, you know, they, they tweaked it more than a little bit, it might make sense to see what the revisions do and then tweak it a little bit more well, and then they probably those revisions a, were made a long time ago those revisions were made when they at, in the early days of when they first tested it in the atlantic league so they've okay. been humming with this version of it for a while now ev you got to catch a plane yet or not <laughs> i'm writing in the show sheet right now hey i gotta go i gotta go um no look um mike we gotta let you go because i gotta catch a plane yeah, um, but I want to get you. I want to get you on the record. You're going to come back and do this again, right? Because this has been awesome. I mean, you were great. Yeah, man. Anytime. You know, love I love it. talking ball. Mark knows. Mark started with baseball with me for years. So. Hey, Mike, are you are you coming back to do any more Tiger games this year, or it was a one time thing this year? I I don't know. I would love to if the opportunity presented itself. But as of right now, I've I was asked to do those three games, and I'm and thrilled that I got the chance to do it. Yeah. Well, we'll have Evan talk to somebody because you know he has some pull there. <laughs> Tigers, call him. And Mike, <laughs> I can't that. tell you what an honor it was to have you come on. We hope to have you on again. We hope you're well, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully talk some baseball before the year's over. All right, guys, take care. Enjoy the trade deadline. You yeah, too. Thank you. Just going to run this 
dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ev, what'd you think of that? Because it was just amazing information. Yeah, he's as good as it gets. I mean, that was a great gift for us, and I'm really excited to have him back. We got to get some more, uh, you know, people on the podcast just to talk about their knowledge and, and their insight. You've mentioned it a couple of times now, Bobby Scales, who um, does color with Dan Dickerson on the road. I mean, he's as good as it gets as well, and someone who, you know, brings really great knowledge from different avenues of the game. He's somebody that we definitely want to get on, um, and, and we'll try to keep him coming as we go. But I do like what, uh, what Mike had to say about the Tigers and controllable starting pitchers that they might be able to trade away. I hinted at that earlier. I think we might be talking to some of the same people when we both mentioned Arizona. Maybe, maybe not. Not sure. But, like, I don't know. I think the Tigers and, and the Diamondbacks, like I mentioned before, could link up. And, you know, Tigers could maybe use one of those young, you know, controllable starting pitchers, maybe Reese Olsen, to, uh, to make a deal there. Who knows? We'll see what happens. So much is going to go down. But, I don't know. I do like what I heard from Mike, too, that the Tigers are on the right track. And I, I believe it, you know, when I hear it from him because he's someone that's been in this game for a long time and he sees it from – you know, the national perspective from way out and I'm, I'm in it on the day to day. Right. And to kind of get his, you know, longer view perspective on that situation and, and how things are going. Sounds like positive moving forward. Listen, I don't know how you don't get smarter listening to Mike Fearn discuss baseball for a half hour. It, it's you know just the best, the best man discussing baseball in America. I, I, I defy you to have somebody on that is more fun and more knowledgeable than Mike Fearn. Learned a bunch of things. I still think the Tigers may have something to cook up with. A team like Baltimore would also be somebody that's... Uh, Perfect fit for Lorenzen. Right. Uh, also, maybe Cincinnati. We'll, we'll, we'll see what they have to say. I mean, the idea with St. Louis is a really good idea. I just don't think the days of St. Louis being a super shrewd, thinking out of the box type of team. I think the era is over and they're struggling to find their way. So thinking out of the box, I don't know if they can think in the box or out of the box, either one. So, all right, it's time for Evan Petzl to get on an airplane and fly back. Hopefully there's three trades while you're in the air. And just know that as soon as the Tigers do something and Scott Harris does something, Mark Gorosh and Evan Petzl will come on here and at least give you a few minutes of uh, analysis, whether we like it, whether we hate it, and what they did. So, for my partner Evan Petzold, for our executive producer Kirk Crawford, and Anjanette Delgado, for our producer Robin Chan, who has his work cut out for him this week, piecing all this together. I also want to thank, as always, my beautiful grandson, Brayden Michael Gorash, and until we... discuss the trades that are going to get made in the next two days. This is Mark Gorosh, and all I have to say to you out there, peace! Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.